in this teaching, I'm talking about what I call the divine flow. Actually, I got that title and this concept from John Olstein, who has now gone on to be with the Lord. But he had a little booklet that was put out that I read, I couldn't even tell you, but at least 20 years ago. And it was entitled The Divine Flow. And it just put forth this very simple principle that I'm going to be sharing on this uh, lesson. Let me first of all say that in the first teaching on this subject, I talked about the importance of the gift, that they are not negotiable, that God intended for his word to be accompanied by miracles, signs, and wonders that happen as ministers operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then on our last teaching, I was talking about how that the biggest uh, problem in flowing in the gifts is this concept that the gifts of the Spirit are spasmodic, that they come and go, and that you just have to wait on God to touch you, and and that God doesn't flow through the gifts all the time. I shared that God is always on. He is always willing and wanting to minister to people. And whenever we get turned on, whenever we make ourselves sensitive and available to God, He will flow through us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, I elaborated on all of those points on the previous teachings. Today I want to turn over to 1 John chapter 4, take two very simple passages of scripture that probably you've heard before. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love of God, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so this passage of scripture, the point I want to make here is that it says God is love. God doesn't just have love. It is not one of his characteristics. That is the core of his nature. God is love. And God lives on the inside of us. Therefore, love lives on the inside of us. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the scripture there says the fruit of the Spirit and it's capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When you get born again, God himself comes and resides on the inside of you, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit's fruit, the characteristic fruit, is love, joy, peace, etc. So God himself, who is love, lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit, his dominant fruit is love, And so all of this love is on the inside of you. Some of you may think, oh no, there's no love on the inside of me. Well, the problem is that we usually only perceive uh, our soulish, emotional realm. But there is another part of us, the spirit, that when you get born again, that's the part of you that changes. And according to the word of God, you do have God's love shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit. You may not always perceive it, But in your spirit, it is there. And so here's my main point of this teaching, of this third teaching in the set. And that is that since God is love and love dwells on the inside of you, when you feel love flowing out of you towards a person, that's God flowing out of you towards that person. It is not your nature, your human nature to love. You might love some people who treat you well, but it's not even God's kind of love. It's a selfish type of love that's based on as long as they treat you well, as long as that person looks nice, then you have this love, this romantic feeling towards them. But wait until they get the Chester drawers disease where their chest is done dropped down into their drawers or they get that Dunlop disease where their belly has done lopped over their belt buckle and all of a sudden people say, my love has left. I just don't love them anymore. Well, you never did love them with God's kind of love. You just lusted for them as long as it benefited you. See, that's a cheap imitation of God's kind of love. But there is an agape. That's the Greek word for God's kind of love. And when you get born again, that God kind of love does indwell every believer. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, Romans chapter 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. 
So a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit has a supernatural love in their heart. Now, it's not going to operate automatically. But when you start maturing in the Lord and when you start seeking God to flow through you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the ways to discern that those gifts are present and flowing is to recognize when you feel love. You know, there's many instances in the Bible. I think that there's at least four in the Gospels where Jesus was moved with compassion towards the people. It says that, that he was moved with compassion and he laid hands on the people and healed the multitude. Paul talked about this same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he says the love of Christ constrains us. He uh, Over in 1 John, where we were just reading in the 4th chapter, the Apostle John said that uh, we love him because he first loved us. If you don't love people here on the earth whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And there's just an abundance of scriptures that talk about Christians should be characterized by love. In John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples this the night before his crucifixion. He says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that ye have love one for another. You know, a godly type of love towards other people is a distinguishing characteristic of a true, mature Christian. And so as you start maturing and desiring to flow in the gifts, I can guarantee you that one of the things that will happen is you will feel compassion towards people. And if you aren't careful, you'll just think that that's you. You'll just think that it's pity. You'll just think that it's some kind of an emotional, sentimental thing, and you'll dismiss it. But you need to recognize that according to these scriptures, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And when you feel that God kind of love flow out of you towards a person, that's God. And God doesn't just give you this feeling of compassion or love just to make you feel good. Rather, when you feel love flowing out of you towards a person, that's God flowing out of you towards that person. And he is desiring to minister to them. And of course, since God is supernatural he's not just natural his ability is far beyond our natural ability well then god will seek to minister to them through the gifts of the spirit which are supernatural he will seek to touch that person through some of those gifts so whenever you feel this love compassion flow out of you you should recognize that that is the beginning that is the flow of the holy spirit and you should anticipate expect the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to work. You should stir up the gifts on the inside of you and just step out, jump out on a limb, and begin to start ministering to that person. Let me give you an example of this exact thing. Not long after the Lord really showed me this principle through that John Olstein book, I was pastoring a church in Pritchett, Colorado. This would have been about 1978. And I was pastoring this church, and um, anyway, there was some visitors that came into the church service. There was only like a 100 people there, and so I knew that these people were new. There was a couple that came in, and they sat on the very back row. But as soon as I stood up and saw this couple, I mean, my heart just went out towards the woman. I felt such compassion for that woman. It was not physical. It was not lust. It was not... uh, anything to do with a physical man-woman relationship. It was the compassion of God towards this woman. And the entire time that I was ministering the Word of God, I found myself just gravitating towards her and actually preaching to her, not knowing anything about her. I'd never seen her before. But I felt so much compassion. And so I couldn't hardly wait for myself to get through preaching because I knew that for that love to be flowing towards her, that was God flowing towards her and that he would want to manifest himself in some gift of the Spirit. And so as soon as I got through, I just called this woman out. And I I pointed to her, and I said, Would you mind coming up here? God's got a word for you. Did you know I didn't have a thing to tell that woman? I didn't have one thing. God hadn't shown me anything. I hadn't discerned anything. The only thing I had felt was God's compassion flowing out towards her. And so in a sense, what I did, I just jumped out on a limb. I put myself in a position where I had to come through. 
with hearing the voice of God and letting God flow through me. I mean, I was in front of a hundred people and I said God had a word for her. So she came forward and she was kind of uh, timid and bashful and it was awkward. And I didn't know what to say to her. So I just started praying for her. And I said, Father, I know that you love this woman. And then I said, God just shows me. And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden, I had a discernment. And I recognized that this woman was depressed and grief-stricken. I discerned that. Now, I didn't know what had caused it. The next thing that happened was, I got a word of knowledge. And God began to tell me that the reason she was like that was because she had lost someone. Someone very close to her had died. And when I said that, this woman just fell apart. She started crying, and I mean, I knew I'd hit a nerve. I knew that this was God ministering to this woman. And so I just began to continue to speak things as I felt God was giving them to me. And so after I discerned the situation that somebody had died, then I began to say that uh, the word of knowledge kicked in, and that was, I mean, the word of wisdom, what that is, what to do about this situation. And the Lord started showing me that the reason she had been so uh, heartbroken over this was because she felt like God was the one that let this person die. And yet the word of wisdom was that God didn't do it. It wasn't God that killed this person. It wasn't God who allowed it. God didn't control those kind of things. And then I said over and over, I said, it was the destroyer that did this. It wasn't God. It was the destroyer. The destroyer killed this person. And anyway, this woman just got set free, and I I began to tell her about how God loved her and that God would heal the hurt and all these things and that God hadn't failed her. God did not fail to answer her prayers. And after the service was over, this woman and her husband came up, and they were from a town that was 30 miles away from where I lived, and they had had a son who had died of leukemia just about a month or two before this. And it was in a little tiny town in Colorado that only had a hundred people in the town. And there was two young people who died of leukemia in the same year. The odds of that happening are minuscule. I mean, it was demonic. It was it was just Satan that came against us. It wasn't physical. It wasn't organic. I believe it was a demonic attack. And this woman had been under teaching that taught her that nothing happens but what God allows it. And so therefore they prayed and asked God to heal their son But they actually didn't fight it as being of the devil. They thought that God had a purpose in giving their son leukemia. And so they they wanted healing, but they didn't resist it. And they submitted to it. And because of this, the son died. And that's what caused her grief. But before the son died, he was driving into that town. And it was way out on the prairies of Colorado. And you could see a long ways. And as he was driving into this little town... The Lord just opened up his spiritual eyes and he saw this huge demonic power that was hovering over that town. I mean, it was like hundreds of feet tall and uh, it was hovering over that town. And when he saw it, he stopped and he says, God, what is that? And the Lord told him, it's the destroyer. This is what's killing you. I'm not the one doing this. It's the devil. And I really believe that God was trying to intervene and to bring health to that boy. Well, the boy came home and told his parents, and they talked to the pastor of the church, and anyway, it didn't square with their theology, and so they dismissed it. But you know what? When I was giving this prophecy, this word of knowledge and wisdom to this woman, I used the exact term, the destroyer did it. That's exactly what God had shown the boy. She was able to remember that, and it was so specific that it set this woman free. It took care of her grief. Now, she still missed her son, but all of a sudden now she didn't feel like God had failed her. She she realized they had failed to believe and know the truth, and she didn't get condemned over it. She just got set free, and it set her free. And I mean, it was a major turning point in their life. And you know how all of that got started? I didn't have anything to tell her before she got up there, but I, I discerned this compassion, the love of God, flowing through me towards her, and I just followed up on that, and then, boom, the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to kick in. This is the way that God leads us into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you feel that compassion flow out of you towards a person, 
That's God flowing out of you. And there's power in that love. And you don't need to dismiss it. You need to follow it through. Just this last August, I was in England. And there was a woman there who had cancer, and she was standing with all that she knew, believing God for this, but she was having a lot of pain. And her husband had told me about this, and so she came. I, I went over to talk to her, and as I started to talk to her, I mean just compassion flowed through me. And again, some of you don't know me, and you may wonder about, man, you're always feeling compassion for these women. It was not physical. It, it's God. And I just hadn't got time to verify that. You just have to trust me and accept my word. This woman's husband was standing right there. My wife was standing right beside me. And I told him something. I said, look, I don't, uh, I said, this is God. It is not physical. But I said, man, God, I just feel the compassion of God. And I quoted that scripture that says that the Lord was moved with compassion. And then I just reached out and hugged this woman. And I mean, I started praying over her and crying over her. And I just hugged her for five or ten minutes, letting compassion flow out of me. And I don't think some people realize this, but God is love. And when you let love flow out of you towards people like that, you know what? Healing flows out of you. Everything that God is flows out of you. Now, I haven't heard a final report, but I really believe that that was God's anointing flowing through me, through that love. And I've learned to respond to it. And, you know, I've learned this the hard way. Now, as I mentioned, I, I got this little booklet. But, you know, long before I got that booklet by John Olstein entitled The Divine Flow, I had experienced times where God tried to teach me this and I just didn't learn very well. I remember that uh, this has been a long time ago. I couldn't even tell you how many years ago. It, it would have been probably close to 30 years ago, right after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and started operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would just pray. And as I was praying, people would come to my mind. And I remember one time specifically that this man named Bob Lewis came to my mind. And he had been my youth director in the Baptist church when I was just like six or seven years old. Actually... My brother and sister were more in the youth department, and, but he would come over to the house. We'd play ping pong, and this guy was just a nice guy, and uh, I, I had been around him, and so I knew him, but uh, it had been probably 20 years since I'd seen this guy, at least. It could have been even longer than that, but I had gotten a report from someone that he also had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that he pastored a church in El Paso, Texas, and that he was seeing great miracles happen, that they had a, a room that was full of wheelchairs and crutches and things like this and braces, and that people were being healed, and miracles were happening in this man's life. And so I was excited about it. And anyway, I'd heard that report, but I hadn't seen this guy, and it had been months since I'd thought of him. And all of a sudden, as I was praying, this man, Bob Lewis, just came to my mind, and I felt compassion for him. I just was thinking, I wonder what's happening with Bob Lewis. And I'd just think about him. And I'd, I prayed, but I didn't uh, understand exactly what was happening. And this happened nearly every time I prayed for a period of time. I don't remember now, but it could have been four weeks or more, a month or something like that. I just would constantly think of this guy. But I'd dismiss it. I didn't recognize that when I felt compassion towards somebody, that it was God. So I'd just dismiss it. And then not long after that, you know, I, I dismissed it long enough that finally quit thinking about him. Not long after that, I heard another report about him that he had gone out one day to get into his car, and when he put his hand on the car door, a red ant bit him on the thumb, and he died instantly. And his family found him laying beside the car dead from an allergic reaction to a red ant bite. And, you know, that's very unusual. I, I've never heard of anybody else dying from a red ant bite. This was just, it was weird. It was a quirk. I, I, it would make you think that it was supernatural, not God supernatural, but demonic, just because he was being effective and God was using him. Satan hated him and came against him. And as soon as I heard that report, it's just immediately I knew that the reason I had thought about this man and felt compassion for him was because God was trying to flow through me for in intercession for this man. 
I don't understand all of the dynamics, but I really believe that through intercession we can uh, intercede and help other people and release God's power and protection towards them. And I believe that God was trying to intercede through me to protect Bob Lewis, and I was just too dull, too insensitive to, to know it. And so, man, when I heard that report, I immediately repented and said, God, help me not to do this again. It was years later that I was holding a meeting somewhere, and the man who was leading the praise and worship service was named Bob Lewis. And after the service was over, I went up to him and I said, Did you know I used to have a youth director in our Baptist church that was named Bob Lewis, the same name that you've got? And this guy told me, he says, That was my dad. I'm Bob Lewis Jr. And I said, Did your dad pastor a church in El Paso? And he said, Yeah, that's the same Bob Lewis. And when I found that out, I just humbled myself and I told this son, I said, Did you realize that God laid him on my heart nearly every time I prayed for a month? And I felt compassion for him, but I just didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't intercede for him. And when I heard that he had died, I said I knew immediately that God was trying to intercede for him through me. And I apologized to his son. I said, I'm sorry. I want you to know that God was at work and trying to change this situation, but he just didn't. I wasn't sensitive enough to do it. And Bob Lewis Jr. told me, he says, you are at least the 12th person that has told me that exact same thing. He said, apparently, God spoke to people all over the United States, and yet nobody seemed to respond. And you know what? I learned the hard way that when you feel compassion flow out of you towards a person, that you need to follow it up. You need to do something with it because God is love. And when that love flows through you, that's God flowing through you. It doesn't have to be something dramatic. You can just pray for him. And then if God gives you any further direction, follow it through. But I do encourage you, like with me, uh, I don't mean to say this incorrectly. I do pray for people when God puts them on my mind, but I never stop at only praying for them. I believe that you also need to act and do something if at all possible. And so if I'm praying for somebody and all of a sudden they come to my mind, I go to thinking about a person, I'll write them, I'll call them, I'll begin something to somehow or another contact them, believing that there is something that God wants to minister through me to those people. And sometimes it's just calling them up and saying hi. I remember that the man Joe Nay, who actually got me started in the ministry, we were best friends. And he was present the night that God changed my life, March the 23rd, 1968. And uh, we went through a lot of things together, but because of different things, I don't know that it was anybody's fault. Uh, We just kind of grew apart. When I got back from being in the Army, he was going in a different direction, and I I just wasn't important to him. Anyway, he wound up getting mad at me and, and told me off. And for about 10 years, we didn't have any contact. But then as I was praying one day, I just had Joe and Anita Nay come to my heart, and I felt so much compassion for them. I prayed for them, but then I felt like I needed to do something. So I started trying to find them. They no longer lived in Arlington, Texas. And I'd heard them say one time that Anita's parents lived in Longview, Texas, and her maiden name was Wilson. So I started calling Wilsons in the phone book, and bingo, I got a call, and the person that answered was Anita Nay. And so I said, Anita, this is Andy. And I said, I just wanted to call you. I felt impressed of the Lord to call. And she hung up on me. And I thought, well, man, uh, this isn't what I expected. I said, God, I felt like this was you reaching out to them through me. And anyway, it's a very long story. But within five minutes, she called me back. And she was crying. And she said, Andy, I'm sorry. She said, and there had been a lot of problems. I won't go through all of it, but... They had just been devastated in ministry. Joe was out of the ministry and working a secular job. And they had actually lost their house that day. Their house had been repossessed. And Anita was so discouraged that she was praying right before I called. And she said, God, if there is a God, which when she told me that, it just shocked me that somebody who had one time been so strong in the Lord was so discouraged that they were actually saying, if there is a God. She said, God, if there is a God, 
Why are we always ministering to people, but no one ministers to us? She says, have somebody minister to us. You know where we are. You can have somebody call us. And as she was praying that, the phone rang, and it was me. And she was so startled that she hung up. And then she called back, and I began to start ministering to her. And through that, God restored my relationship with Joe and Anita. Joe was out of the ministry And God used me to help encourage him. He's back in the ministry. Anita has now gone on to be with the Lord, but Joe is remarried. He's full-time ministry, and he's a blessing. And great things came out of that. And you know how it all happened? I just felt compassion for him. How many times have you thought about someone and had compassion and just, you know, a love? Maybe it wasn't overwhelming or earth-shattering, but you just felt the compassion of God for somebody. You were concerned about them. And all you did was just maybe let that thought come and then you dismissed it and went on your way and didn't do anything with it. I tell you, that is not the way that God intended it to be. As a matter of fact, I was teaching on this in my Bible college just a couple of days ago, this exact thing about the divine flow. And when you feel compassion, just follow it up and do something. And I mean, I got through teaching my class and within a minute I was standing there with students around me and I was answering questions My secretary came to me and said, Bob Nichols, who's a board member of mine and a very good friend, he was on the phone. So I took the call with these students standing around me after having just taught this. And Bob got on and he says, I know that you're in between classes. I won't take your time. I just want you to know I love you. I was praying and God showed me to just tell you that I love you. And it was exactly what I'd been teaching. And you know what? It was a it was a logic lesson to all of those students, and it blessed me at the same time. That's all it takes sometimes. I remember that when I was in Pritchett, Colorado, I had gone there, and I left a church. It wasn't a big church, but we were running 40 to 60 in, in Childress, Texas. And for the first time in my life, I could see light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't another train. I mean, there was really optimism that I was going to have a church that would survive. There was enough people that were actually giving me money, and we were eating for the first time, regularly for the first time in years. And things were going good. And then God called me to go to Pritchett, Colorado, which only had 144 people in the whole town and about 10 or 11 people in the church. I mean, the only way out of that place was feet first. That's what it looked like. But I knew that that's what God called me to do. And you know, one of the ways I knew it, I fell in love with those people, and I followed that compassion that I had in my heart. So when I went to Childress, I mean to Pritchett, Colorado, from Childress, Texas, uh, it looked like the only way I'd ever leave there was feet first. But I went there, I was ministering to these people, and a lot of things happened. We had some great things happen, but I also had some very bad things happen. And within six months, there were certain people in that church that were wanting to crucify me. They lied about me, said I'd committed adultery, that I cursed that I got drunk, I took drugs. You know, they were saying things about me. It was just unbelievable. And anyway, I was just ready to throw in the towel. I don't think I would have really done it, but I was thinking about it, and I was discouraged, and I was having a little bit of a pity party. And at that exact time, a friend of mine who lived in a different state called, and he just started talking, how are you? And he talked about the weather and about his cows, and about other things like this. And he was just shooting the breeze. And I said, Ben, why did you call? And he says, I just was thinking about you, and I wanted to let you know that I love you, and I appreciate what you've done. And, you know, that just, it made a huge difference in my life. He didn't give me a prophecy from God. He didn't do anything special. But it just made me feel like that, God, you know what I'm going through. And you love me and you put it on this friend's heart to just call me at exactly the moment I needed to hear it because you care about me. And it just encouraged me and it brought me out of that whole temptation that I was about to give into. And it made a difference. And, you know, that's all you've got to do sometimes is just call and say, you know, God's put you on my heart and I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. Is there something that you need that I could pray for, that I could do for you. If you would do that, you would be surprised how the gifts of the Holy Spirit would work through you. 
Sometimes I've done things like that and called a person, and I mean, just like I was saying with Joe and Anita Nay, they start pouring out their heart, telling me these problems. I'm able to pray for them, minister to them, words of wisdom, words of knowledge come. I'm able to send people money and to bless them, and that's also a gift of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, where it talks about the gift of giving. And, you know, that's a gift to be able to give to people and to bless them. And so you just do things like that, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to flow, and people's lives get changed. You know, if you don't understand this principle, if you are just wanting the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow, but you ignore this compassion of God, then I don't think that you are going to discern the gifts of the Holy Spirit near as much as you should. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, even if you were to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but if you weren't motivated by love as you do it, it profits you nothing. Let me just read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Remember, chapter 13 is right in between chapters 12 and chapter 14. And they're both talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 13 is put in where it talks about love. It's not saying that love is better than the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's saying that the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through and motivated by love are superior to the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating without love. Did you realize that you can flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and do it carnally, do it for strife and debate? That's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter Uh, 12 and 14. He was talking about their assembly. He even said over in the 10th chapter or the 11th chapter that sometimes when they came together and had communion that people were getting drunk and they were putting down other people and criticizing them and despising the weak brother. You know what? You can be a Christian and have the Holy Spirit and even operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost and be carnal. So you can flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and yet Even though God will use it to a degree, it can wind up causing problems and offending people. And I've certainly seen that in people who had, they they had valid gifts from God, but they were using it to promote themselves and not to minister to people. You know how you prevent things like that? It's through making sure that the gifts are motivated and encased in God's kind of love. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are powerful. And just like anything that's powerful, there has to be some precautions taken with it. You don't give an atomic bomb to a child to play with. It's dangerous. Now, an atomic bomb is powerful, and there is potential there. But you know what? If it's used wrongly, it can kill you. It can destroy you. Same thing like with a gun or with a knife. You have to have restrictions and, and some maturity to be able to handle it. Well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are powerful, and they have great potential for good, but they can be operated in a way that actually offends people. And I've seen this. I've seen people who had great anointings on their life manipulate people and control people with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is power in the gifts, and there's potential for good, but there's also potential for bad. How do you keep it? from going bad? How do you get to where you don't misuse the gifts of the Holy Ghost and use them for selfish purposes? The way you do it is to make sure that all of the gifts are motivated by love, this exact principle that I've been talking about. You need to get into this divine flow to where you're moved with compassion, not for yourself, but for the person you are ministering to. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for you. It's my opinion. I don't know a scripture that says this, but it is my opinion that you can't get yourself healed through your own spiritual gifts. You can't give a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and a discerning of spirits to yourself. They are for other people. The gifts are for other people. Every time that they're talked about in scripture and tells you about them, it's always geared towards using them for other people. When a person who has the gifts of healing or the gifts of miracles operating in their life, when they get sick, they can't lay hands on themselves and get it through a supernatural gift. They have to operate in faith, like Job Blow Believer. And I think that that's the reason you've seen some people with these great gifts on their life actually fail in the very area where they have an anointing because they are used to flowing in the anointing, which only flows for other people, and they don't know how to operate in faith for themselves. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
In verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You can speak in tongues and do it carnally. You can do it without being motivated by love, but it's just sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, it's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. Speaking in tongues is not automatic. You have to have faith while you're speaking in tongues, motivated by love. Galatians 5, 6 says faith works by love. And if you aren't speaking in tongues in faith and motivated by charity, God's kind of love, it'll profit you nothing. In verse 2 it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. This is talking about operating in the gifts. And if you don't do them operated by love, it profits you nothing. In verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know what? You can actually even give your life as a sacrifice for someone else, which the Bible says, No greater love hath any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. But you know what? It isn't automatic that if you sacrifice your life that it was motivated by love. It could be motivated by total selfishness. You know, I'm speculating here, but I'm making this um, teaching not long after the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York and the, and the uh, attack on the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. And uh, we haven't got all of the details yet, but it appears that these hijackers were Islamic militants who actually were told that if they would give their life, sacrifice their life to kill Americans, that they would have a special place in heaven and that they would have a harem of women. And so this is an example of people sacrificing their life. But was it done with love for people? No. They actually had hatred for people. They killed innocent women and children. It wasn't motivated by love for others. You know what it was motivated by? Love for self. They were under the deception that they could actually get a special place in heaven with a harem of women if they would murder innocent people. And they were willing to literally destroy other people's lives, wreak havoc in the lives of millions of people around the world, cause fear and grief and things, to advantage themselves. And this is exactly what 1 Corinthians 13.3 is talking about. Even if you give your body to be burned, which they did, they burned in these attacks, and yet if it isn't done by love, it profits you nothing. It wasn't done by a God kind of love for other people. It was done out of nothing but sheer selfishness and anger and hatred, and it profited them nothing. The gifts of the Spirit have to be motivated by love. And so I believe that one of the greatest motivations uh, and entrances into the gifts of the Holy Spirit is actually this truth about compassion. God is love. And we need to let that compassion flow through us to other people and recognize that when that's happening, that's God. And if we will just step out and expect and stir up the gifts that are within us, then those gifts will flow towards other people. And to keep us from being carnal and manipulative and doing it for our own selfish advantage, the key to that, the safeguard against it, is that it needs to be motivated with love, just like these scriptures were teaching. And so a key to operating in the gifts is really operating in the love of God. A person who isn't meditating on the love of God, who isn't in fellowship with God, who doesn't love God themselves, is not going to be able to turn around and love others with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you understand this properly, that the gifts are for others and that they're always motivated out of love and compassion, you know what? That will also put restrictions on what you will say and how you will say it to people. For instance, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when it's talking about the gift of prophecy, it says um, in verse 3, it says, He that prophesies speaketh unto man to edification and exhortation and comfort. The gifts of the Spirit, this gift of prophecy, this simple gift of prophecy that it's talking about here, is always for the purpose of edifying, exhorting, 
and comforting a person. In other words, it's motivated by love. It's never used to put down a person. See, I've, I've heard people actually stand up before and say, Thus saith the Lord, and then they just ream a person out. And it wasn't God that was doing that. They was them using the Lord and saying, Thus saith the Lord, so that they could vent their frustration and their anger and their disappointment towards a person. And I tell you, that's not God. There are people that have done things like that. You know what? If you would understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are always encased in love, it is for the benefit and the edification, exhortation, and comfort of the person, then it would restrict you venting and just giving a a rebuke to a person and blasting a person. That's incorrect. And you know, the Lord has shown me things. I operate in the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits pretty strong. And I have, the Lord has shown me lots of things about people. And you know what? I, over the years, have gotten better at ministering in the gifts. I've already given some examples about how that when I was starting out, I may not have always done it right. My heart may have been right, but you know what? You have to learn some of these things. You have to learn tact. And I'm still in the process of learning that. Some people think I hadn't learned very much. But I've prayed for a lot of people. Immediately it comes to my mind some people I've prayed for who are homosexuals. And here we are in front of a whole group of people, hundreds of people. I've got a prayer line. And all of a sudden the Lord shows me that this person is a homosexual. And you know what? Instead of me just saying, you're a homosexual. God just told me that you're a homosexual and that you've done this and this and this. You know what? I don't think that edifies, exhorts, and comforts. I don't think that God is into just rebuking and exposing people like that. There may be, let me give a little P.S. and I'm going to come back to this story. There may be a time that that could happen through the ministry of a prophet. But there is a difference between the ministry of a prophet and the prophecy that all of us can operate in. Some of you may not have a clear distinction, and I don't have time to teach on this whole thing, but a prophecy where you are just giving a word to somebody inspired by God, a simple prophecy that every believer can operate in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that you may all prophesy one by one so that the others can receive benefit. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 14:31. You may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. See, it's to edify and exhort and comfort. Every Christian can operate in that. You can all be inspired by God. And in a church service, uh, typically it happens like during the praise and worship or something like that, you will hear people come up and just say something that is simple. Like, my children, God says He loves you. God is pleased with your praises. God inhabits your praises. God is answering your prayers. God is blessing you. Uh, Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Uh, it'll relate it to some current event and say, don't worry about this. God is taking care of you. Just something that is simple that encourages, exhorts. But you know, sometimes people in church services will get up and start administering a rebuke. Thus saith the Lord, God's angry. There's judgment coming on this city. Do you know that's out of order? Because the prophecy that operates in the church service like that should always be for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It is ir- out of place to administer a rebuke. That is not prophecy. That's the ministry of a prophet. See, a prophet can rebuke people. There are scriptural examples of a prophet rebuking kings and rebuking nations. There's examples of prophets foretelling coming events and giving guidance and directions to individuals or to churches or to cities. There's examples of prophets standing up and giving a warning and saying that You know, a drought is coming. Agabus, the prophet, did that in the book of Acts. Now, that's the ministry of a prophet. And that's different from a person operating in the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is always just something encouraging about, I love you and something like this. It's always exhortation, edification, and comfort. And if a person stands up and starts trying to give guidance, direction, warnings, rebukes, then that is not prophecy, that's the ministry of a prophet, and that should not come under the classification of prophecy. That would be like me. The ministry of a prophet is the same. It's a one of the fivefold ministries that's listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where it says that God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
There's five ministry gifts there, and teachers is one of them. It would be the same as me standing up in a church and just all of a sudden start to give a teaching. The teaching could be scriptural. It could be right on. It could be something that God has shown me. But you know what? If I stood up in a church service and the pastor was behind the pulpit, but I just stood up and all of a sudden started giving a teaching, that's wrong. If I stood up during the praise and worship service and took that opportunity to give a teaching and instruct people on something that I'd learned during the week, that's wrong. That's the ministry of a teacher. And the proper way for that to be administered is for me to go to the pastor and say something to the effect that, you know, God has shown me something that I really want to share with the congregation. And the pastor would have to recognize my gift, my calling, and give me that right. That's the way that it should operate. It's wrong for me to stand up and just do it. It's wrong for a prophet to stand up and just all of a sudden start ministering rebukes and correction and guidance. He has to go to the pastor and receive permission to minister that and to be recognized by the person who's in, a, in control of that service. In a prophecy, though, a simple prophecy that's under edification, exhortation, and comfort, it says in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty one, we could all do that. You have to take turns, and there is a right and a wrong way to do it, but you can all operate in that. So anyway, there's a difference between the ministry of a prophet and what I believe the Bible is calling just simple prophecy. And we need to recognize the difference between that. So anyway, that was a little P.S. I want to come back to my original point. I was talking about how that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have to be motivated by and encased in love and that this places restrictions on how you do it. And I was using this example of where I was in front of a crowd and a person came up and the Lord showed me that they were a homosexual. And I didn't want to just say you're a homosexual because I didn't feel that was to edification, exhortation, and love. In other words, you can um, you can put the gifts of the Holy Ghost in a way that they build up and edify. And I believe that you have to do this. If you can't find a positive way to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then you ought to keep quiet until you can figure out a positive way to do it. So what I did, I began to say to this person, that boy, God loves you. And there are all kinds of hurts and pains on the inside of you. And I ministered about that for a little bit and operated in a word of knowledge. Now, that's true of everybody. But, you know, the Lord was showing me specific things about this person and how that they had been hurt, rejected, abused when they were a kid. As I started ministering this, this guy just started crying. And uh, the Lord was ministering to him. And then I said, and because of that, there have been problems in your life. There are things that you have done that you don't want anybody to know. And anyway, I ministered to him, and I said, you know, there's there's things that you've hidden on the inside of you, but God knows, and God loves you anyway. It doesn't matter. God is setting you free right now. And I went on and ministered to that person. Now, the crowd only knew that there were hurts and pains and that mistakes and sins that this guy had committed, but they didn't know what I was talking about. I knew what I was talking about. This guy knew what I was talking about, but I ministered it in a way that it was actually a positive thing. And, you know, after the service, the guy came up to me and says, you don't know what I was ta- what you were ministering to me about. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I know exactly what I was ministering to you about. And anyway, he confessed to me and told me these things. And see, I knew it, but you can minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit that way. You need to use wisdom. Now, that's not to say that there's never a time that you don't use the gifts of the Holy Spirit and administer something that's in a very strong way. I can think of other times that I've actually told people that, boy, God, you know, has dealt with you, and you've been rejecting and turning the other way, and and the Lord loves you, and the Lord is wanting to turn you, and I've exposed maybe an attitude of rebellion or indifference in a person. But I only do that when I know that that person is already receiving that the person has humbled themselves, they're just an open book, and they're ready for anything God's got for them. And uh, I'll minister something like that and then go into a word of wisdom about as you respond to this, the Lord is going to change your life. You'll never be the same. 
And so there are times that I've ministered things that are pretty straightforward and pretty hard, but I do it only if I perceive that that person is receptive to it and that they're receiving and that it's a positive thing. In other words, I use all of the gifts of the Spirit unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. And that really is a restraint on me. In other words, the gifts have to be motivated by love or you're just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And I will confess this to you, that there are times when I'm ministering to a person and I know that they aren't receiving and I discern things about a person and I know things about a person and that that are negative and uh, I could say and expose those things, but I don't have a word of wisdom to be able to turn it in a positive way and minister to the person in a way that's going to be positive. In other words, it would be very negative. I can just think recently that I was praying for a person who had cancer. And uh, they were so bad that they couldn't even come into the service. I had to go out to them. And I was praying for them. And as I prayed for them, I discerned that uh, they just weren't receiving the prayer. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know. I didn't want to come out and just say, you know, I don't believe that you're receiving this prayer. Because I didn't know that it was that person's fault. Uh, you know, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I wasn't in tune with God, but I could just tell. And and I don't know how to express this properly because I'm not going by physical feelings. These aren't carnal things. I believe it was a spiritual perception, a spiritual discernment. So I'm not advocating you just going by how you feel. But I'm saying that as you're seeking the Lord, you can tell when virtue flows out of you for a person. I remember I was... Uh, praying with the person who needed to be healed, and I prayed with them, and the pain instantly left. It was rheumatoid arthritis, and they were just miraculously set free. And then after the service, they came up to me. It was about maybe 30 or 40 minutes after I'd prayed with them, and they said, you know, some of that pain's beginning to come back on me. And I told them how they could pray for it, how they could do that. And uh, I, specifically, I was emphasizing that you have to speak to the pain. Mark 11:24 says, whosoever shall say to the mountain. In other words, not talk to God about your problem, but talk directly to the problem. And if the problem is arthritis or pain, you have to speak to it. So I explained this to the person. And I said, now you pray and you rebuke it. And this will teach you how to deal with it if it ever tries to come back. So the lady started praying. And at first, she was just saying, Father, I thank you that you have healed me. I know that it's going to work. And it was okay what she was saying, but she wasn't speaking to her problem. And then all of a sudden, she remembered what I said, and she said, And pain, I command you to get out of my knees right now. And when that happened, I could sense the virtue of the Holy Spirit flowing in that woman. I was holding hands with her. And I could feel the surge of God's power. That's exactly what Jesus felt in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. When, he, when that woman came up and touched the hem of his garment, he felt virtue go out of him. You can perceive the move and the power of God flowing, not in a physical way. It's a spiritual perception. I'm not talking about tingling and jerks and things like that. Sometimes some of those things do happen, but I'm saying that I'm talking about a spiritual perception. So back to my other story. As I was praying for this man that had cancer, I just perceived that it wasn't working that it wasn't flowing in his life. Now, what I will do most of the times when I'm praying for a person and I don't perceive the power of God flowing, I perceive, I discern that there is some type of a hindrance. You know what I'll do often in a situation like that? I'll flop over into this word of knowledge and I'll start ministering to the person about something that is totally disconnected from the healing that they are needing. In other words, there's some resistance, and I don't understand why it is. And so I will just begin to start saying, boy, the Lord shows me that, you know, you've had a situation in your life where you have been struggling financially and that God has, uh, you've been praying and asking God for this. And God right now is just saying that this problem is just about over, that God has released his power. And I'll start ministering on something that doesn't even concern healing. And I'll use this word of knowledge, and these people will all of a sudden recognize it. Man, this is God. I didn't even ask about my finances or whatever it is that I minister to. And they say, this is God. And their faith rises up. They open up. They start receiving from God. 
in this area of finances and they just get set free. And then as I perceive that they're open and that they're receiving the blessing of God in that area, then I'll come back to the physical healing that I was perceiving there was resistance on. And I'll say, and now God's anointing is flowing to heal that back or whatever it is. And because of that, all of a sudden, this healing that was being resisted before, well, now it'll just happen, and I see people set free. And that's a powerful way. In other words, I'm saying that you can perceive when people are receiving or aren't receiving. And sometimes I can use these gifts of the Holy Spirit and get around that and make a positive uh, deal that will make the person open up. But this one man who had cancer that I was telling you about, I perceived that there was a hindrance to the power of God flowing in him, but I couldn't see any positive way. I didn't have any other words to minister to him. I didn't have anything to say that would have made this a positive deal. So I didn't say anything, and I just went on and prayed for him. And I didn't say anything. I didn't want to hinder their faith because, number one, I don't know everything yet, and my perceptions you know, are sometimes flesh. They're sometimes just me, and it's not God. And so... I didn't uh, know how to say anything or do anything else in a positive way, so I just prayed a prayer of faith, and I let it go. And if you would have asked me uh, uh, right after I prayed for this guy as he healed, I'd have said, I believe that he is, because that's what I was believing for. But I had this reservation, this hindrance, that I felt like something was hindering the flow of God's Spirit. But I couldn't find a positive way to express that, so I didn't. Well, the next night... This man's daughter came back to the meeting, and she says, I'm the daughter of the man that you prayed for last night. And I said, oh, how is he? And she says, well, he still was having tremendous pain, and he went home, and, you know, it just doesn't seem like much has happened. And so I got to expressing to her, not in a gift of the Spirit or thus saith the Lord, I just said, you know, I felt like that there were some hindrances and that the power of God wasn't really flowing. And I began to ask questions. I said, is he discouraged? Uh, you know, sometimes discouragement, a person can be in such pain and they've had such a hard battle that they want to believe, but they're just discouraged. And anyway, I talked to her and she began to share some things with me. And through understanding the situation better, I began to have some things that I felt pretty strongly about that this might have been what was hindering the healing. And so anyway, I talked to her about that. And then we prayed and agreed again and just believed that the power of God would manifest itself in this guy. She came back the next night and she said, you know, he hadn't even been able to get up and walk around or to do anything. He had been discouraged and he had had all of the, his pain was so bad. And she said, you know, after we prayed last night, he was up walking around today. He's happier than she had seen him. He was really positive. And, of course, I didn't see her after that. But, I mean, there was a marked difference after we prayed the second time. And, see, there were some hindrances there that maybe if I would have been stronger, more sensitive to God, I could have dealt with that while I was praying for this man. But for whatever reason, I know it's not God, but for, uh, for whatever reason, it could have been his hindrance. It could have been his unbelief. It could have been my lack of sensitivity or just a lot of things. I, there's so many variables here that I'm not going to get condemned or upset about it. I'm just still seeking. I'm still green and growing. But see, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to perceive, discern that the power of God was flowing in that guy. And I knew that there was more that needed to be ministered, but I wasn't going to come out and say something that would be under condemnation and guilt and cause pain because that is not flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have to be cased in God's kind of love. There's this divine flow that makes everything else work. And I just encourage you, as you have a desire to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you need to remember that God is love. When you feel love, compassion flowing out of you for a person, that's God, and he always will have some supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit to minister to these people. And then as you begin to administer it, recognize that it's not just pure Holy Spirit that flows through you, that God will give you impressions, discernments, and knowledge, but then you have to express it. There is room for you uh, to make a mistake. Don't fall apart if you make a mistake. Recognize that you're growing, and also recognize that you can grow and improve in the way that you phrase it. It's not going to be the Holy Ghost that just takes your mouth and makes it move. 
But as you minister to people, you'll become more experienced at it and, and to where you minister to people in a more positive way. And remember that not only do you get motivated by love, but it has to be done in love. It has to be surrounded in love. It has to be under edification, exhortation, and comfort, something positive. And so even if you discern something negative in a person, find a positive way to state it. Find a positive way to turn that situation around. And if you'll do it that way, if you will let love be your motivation and your driving force, constrain everything that it fits within these boundaries of love, and if you will flow in the gifts like that, you will not only experience God uh, giving you great gifts and flowing through you, but you will experience people being set free and, and people's lives will be changed. In my estimation, I think that that's probably the greatest thing that God has shown me about how to just flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I say that this isn't a complete teaching on the on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's more talking about just how you flow in it. And so we've talked about how that God is always on. God is always wanting to minister. He's always ready and willing. And it's a matter of us stirring up the gift that was within us. And then we have to learn this lesson of love and make sure that everything we do is just completely encased and motivated in love. I tell you, if you'll receive that, meditate on it, begin to apply this in your life, I think that you'll find out that God wants to use you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit more than you want to be used. And if you will conform yourself to these simple principles, then you'll find out that if God can trust you to do it in a way that glorifies him and builds the person up instead of becoming manipulative and controlling or condemning or any of the other uses of the gifts, then you'll find out that, man, God will speak through you often and that you'll see some wonderful things happen. So I just pray and believe that God is going to use this, that he'll bring it back to your remembrance, and that as you flow in the gifts and seek to be a blessing to people, that you'll remember these things and it'll cause God's power to just abound in your life and to flow through you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit.